You really did a good job with that new hymn. It's important for us to not only sing the oldie goldies, but also to continue to learn new hymns that have been recently published, and that is one. If we sing that hymn three or four times, I suspect we will begin to think of that hymn as an oldie goldie. So thank you for your efforts in that regard. This morning we begin what is known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters in Matthew. It's really his first public teaching, his first public preaching process that's recorded in Matthew. And it comes right after Jesus has made a great name for himself around the Sea of Galilee while he healed and cared for and nurtured those who were ill or diseased or outcast. When his name was made famous, people came from everywhere, Matthew says, even from Jerusalem to come to Jesus so that they too would be considered blessed by God. It is this dramatic moment when Jesus has his closest disciples with him and all the crowd surrounding him that he decides to climb up to a mountaintop, like Moses, intentionally, and claims that great teaching moment he grabs the audience immediately. Now they say you must grab the audience in any speaking event in the first 30 seconds or you lose them. So you probably should tell a joke or at least a story to draw people in. Jesus, however, decided to simply turn the whole rule of law and religion and what they knew about God on its face. And he does it with what we call the Sermon on the Mount. 111 verses. And he opens up with those Beatitudes that we, probably most of us, know so well. Really, they are, in some cosmically ironic way, the biggest joke of all. Only the jokes on us who think we understand what it means to be blessed, successful, and happy. Hear the words from Jesus, beginning in the first verse of the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed, by the way, carries many connotations. If you grew up in the South, you know what it means to say, well, bless his heart doesn't always mean something positive, or even worse, bless his little heart. I preached this sermon on the Beatitudes in 2002, the same 
Sunday in the liturgical season. It was six months after my first wife had been killed in an automobile accident. And it was particularly personal to me when I read the Beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. After preaching it, I got an email from one of our church members whose marriage was in trouble at the time and whose son, 16-year-old son, was suffering from a debilitating disease they could not name or diagnose. His body was being debilitated. His mind was being debilitated. His speech, he just was, he, he was vanishing, and they couldn't find out why. So she writes me this email the day after the sermon. Steve found in my huge, old, unabridged dictionary some lines on bless. In Anglo-Saxon and Middle English, it shares a root with blood. The Anglo-Saxon root for bless, blodsin, meaning to consecrate with blood. And in French, blesser means to wound. The French use a different verb, benir, for bless. In the definitions of both bless and blessed, there is a progression from the more common usages to the last definition. Cursed, damned, used euphemistically, ironically, or intensively as those blessed bells, not these, of course, or there hasn't been a blessed drop of rain. So there's a sense here that blessed can have some downsides. Blessed equals cursed, question mark. I remember the first time I became passionate about National Football League games when in 1967 I sat in front of the television and watched the Green Bay Packers play the Dallas Cowboys in Green Bay, what came to be known as the Ice Bowl. It was minus 15 degrees, minus 45 chill factor. Don Meredith, Bart Starr, Jerry Kramer, Ray Nitschke, Willie Anderson, all the greats, the two great coaches. It was clear to me that it was the biggest and the best and the meanest and strongest and best coach teams I had ever seen. And of course, the Packers were the best ever. They were the perfect evolutionary specimen of humanity where the survival of the fittest wins. Since then, of course, we humans in terms of sports have evolved probably, I guess, although I haven't documented it, about 5%. Our players today are probably 5% at least stronger, faster, and bigger than they were 50 years ago. And it's sports is the rule. It will be true continuously. So it is with war and power. Our ability to be strong and fast and destructive has evolved too. Some might say devolved way more than 5% in the last 50 years. And that trend throughout history has always been true. One generation to the next. What is not necessarily true, however, is that our character, our moral character, our true humanity our goodness created in the image of God has evolved one iota. We used to call it man's inhumanity to man. 
I suspect that it is no better now than it has been for thousands of years. Our instinctual need to fight, to conquer, to take, to celebrate is just as strong now as it always was. It may just be the animal nature in us, the bestial impulse, that dark instinct that helps us survive, the survival of the fittest, but it does not help us thrive. What if what it means to evolve in the human sense looks something like Jesus, not the Seahawks or the Broncos, and what the evolved human Jesus speaks to in terms of our own evolution is about this Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes. When Jesus climbed this mountain 2,000 years ago, he knew from the inside the religious and social reality that he faced, a reality that since Moses' time had continued generation by generation to be misinterpreted. Those who were the strongest, the most pure, the most righteous, the most blessed were those who had been, of course, the most faithful and obedient. That was the religious reality that Jesus faced. If you were good, you would be blessed. If you were bad, you would be cursed. The other side of that is that if for some reason you were not blessed, then you had done something to deserve it. What must I have done? And to be blessed meant to be happy and joyful and have been given welfare, fortune, or peace, or security, or health. Shalom. It's a simple equation of conditional life, what they call just talionis. Do good, be blessed. Do bad, no blessing. That's the culture in which Jesus became the new way for us. Now, who doesn't want to be blessed? I had a friend in Atlanta who was probably one of the most wealthy men I have ever known. He had several houses, one of which was in Thomasville, Georgia. He would fly me down in his $8 million jet aircraft. We would shoot uh, quail together. Uh, one night after he had had too much to drink, he confided in me that no matter how much money he had or earned or what he did with his life, he could not understand whether or not his father blessed him. He never felt blessed by his father. Think about that. Then think about how we come to God in unfortunately much the same way. If we do it right, if we do it well, if we say our prayers, if we give our tithes, if we come to church, we will earn God's blessing. But the more we do, Ironically, the less of that blessing we experience. The problem for Jesus as he faces these crowds is the grand religious lie that supports injustice. One reason is that the blessings of the father in those days were always handed off to the oldest son. Primogenitor controlled the society. 
The oldest son gets it. And if you remember the story of Jacob stealing the birthright from Esau when he put on hairy clothes, furry uh, clothes, because Esau was apparently hairy, to uh, trick his older blind father, Isaac, out of the inheritance. All he wanted was the blessing. And once the blessing was given, you couldn't take it back. By the time Jesus appears on the stage, this cult of blessing had become business. The priest was the one who would bless. No one else could make that blessing. And in order to receive that blessing, you had to toe the line, make great sacrifices, pay the temple tax, and so forth. And it was set up for those who had an inside wealth or an inside power to the priesthood. You had to have money to buy the sacrifices to make at the temple, which is exactly why Jesus overthrew the table of the money changers, because it was only the insiders and powerful who got access to God. Jesus called the institution for what it was. It's a lie, he said. You are not blessed because... A priest has said so. We are blessed because we are children of God. Faced with this dominion of Rome that said the real way you're blessed is being a, a, a citizen of Rome. And a temple that said the way you're blessed is by being the insider. Women aren't blessed. They don't get inside. Jesus turned the whole scheme upside down in his Sermon on the Mount. That's why these words are so subversive and why you don't need a joke to get your attention. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not those whose spirits are full and strong and who can recite the Westminster Catechism by heart, can even win every Baptist sword drill, can recite scripture in a flash. Not those whose spirits are full of religion, but those whose spirits are poor, he says. Lacking, wanting, hungry for something that only God can fill. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. To mourn is to grieve the loss of something or someone deeply. And in those days, if you were mourning the loss of someone or something, it means God had taken that from you because of something you had done. It was divine punishment for disobedience. And Jesus turns this whole idea on its head. Those who mourn, he says, shall be comforted. God will not abandon them. And so it goes with each beatitude. The meek, the hunger, for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers those who were persecuted. A great reversal, a hilarious cosmic joke that those who are lost and least and last and on the outside are not excluded from God's kingdom, but instead blessed. The tense, by the way, is in the indicative. You don't need to know Greek to know this. And what that means is that being in the indicative, it's a fact. It is they are blessed. They are blessed now. In spite of the future that they will inherit the kingdom of God, they are blessed now. How many of those people heard that 
as good news. These Beatitudes make it clear that God's blessings are distributed to those society thinks don't get it. The meek, the poor, the grieving, those who are unjustly treated. These blessings are the good news that God has blessed us, claimed us as God's own, and that we are in that claim not victims and we're not victimized. We may be servants, but we're not servile. The difference is all the difference between what it means to be in God's presence and to receive God's blessing and to mean to be outside of God's presence and to be cursed. You probably know that we have three cats at home. Henry, cat A, he's the alpha cat. George Washington is the beta cat. And Traveler is the third cat. We're not sure where he fits in the scheme of things. Every now and then, a neighbor cat will jump up on the windowsill of... uh, of our first floor and start intimidating Henry, Alpha Cat. And Henry, who can't get through the window to, uh, to, to this cat, immediately turns and in a rage, a fit of rage, attacks George, the Beta Cat, because George is the Beta Cat. You gotta fight or flight, and so George gets whacked. George is bigger than Henry, but he's not the beta cat. He ends up cowering in the corner. And with that, Traveler then begins to pile on to George. Because Alpha Cat's upset, George must have done something. And it's a complete free-for-all. Only the strong survive in that world. It's all about evolution in that world. It may help the species survive in that world, but it is hardly the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about, and nor is it in human standards evolutionary. For a picture of that, let us continue to turn to the Beatitudes. Let us now bring forth the gifts of our lives and our labors.